This series is called Weak But Strong, and um, this uh, was Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. He's been having to defend his ministry and his authority from this church after his previous letter. And the language Paul uses here are words of love, of exhortation. He's calling the church to be committed to God's word and to reject false teaching. And it's a a deeply personal letter. So I've called this uh, preach up close and personal. And he's asking the church personal questions, shining a mirror, almost uh, like your kind of uh, friendly uncle just saying, what's going on here? What's going on? Shining that mirror in love and challenging the church in several questions. And I feel like this is all about relationships. It's all about relationships, what he's talking about today, how we interact with one another and also out in the world. And as a church, our vision is to be a growing, worshipping community of Jesus followers, passionate about being and speaking good news to the world. And the challenge here is, are we being and speaking good news? That's what Paul is asking the church in Corinth, and that's what he's asking us today. So um, Paul creates a few images that we're going to look at today um, and discuss. And I'll be asking these three questions. Are we an open door to one another? How do we smell to people we meet? Don't often get asked that question, do you? And how do we read? How do we read to people that know us? So let's read this. uh, 2 Corinthians. We're starting in uh, chapter 2, verse 12. It should appear on screen. Yes, wonderful. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened the door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to him and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we don't peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Why don't we just pray very quickly. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it can speak to each one of us. And Lord, we just pray, would you just speak now? You know where each of us are at, and we pray that through the preaching of your word, that we would have the answers that we're looking for. We trust you, we believe in you, And we love you. Amen. Amen. So those three questions. Uh, The first one is, are we an open door? Are we an open door to one another? To be be speaking and being good news, are we an open door to one another? 
Uh, so Paul started this church and it was booming. There was loads of people coming to faith, but with great growth that caused certain issues. Uh, and Paul knew that he wanted to go back to this church to kind of sort some of these issues out. But he was also conflicted because his ministry where he was going, the gospel was spreading. There was opportunities for him to break ground in new areas that he hadn't before. And um, he was also aware that there were some false teachers in this congregation in Corinth. Uh, and one offense was that they were charging for the gospel. It said that uh, in verse 17, they, he said, unlike so many, we don't peddle the word of God for profit. And almost like that's like a dagger into the heart of those people that were coming and saying, we're going to give this at a price. Paul was saying, no, that's not what we do. Well, that's not as Christians, that's what we do. And the people in the church were also saying that, some of them were saying that Paul needed to prove himself. It's like, who is this Paul anyway? He's been away for a long time. Who is he? Like, is he even uh, really who he says he is? Let's get a letter of recommendation for one of his other churches. Is he the same Paul? And um, he's been trying to visit the church, but he hasn't managed to. Uh, we read in the book of Acts that he planned to visit Corinth again, but actually the Lord had opened a door in Macedonia. So he was able then to preach the gospel to Macedonia and go that way as opposed to come back to Corinth, come back to modern day Greece. And further to this, we see that Paul, had, the Lord had opened another door to Paul. But then we see that Paul doesn't go. Why is this? So Troas, the door has been opened. The gospel is able to be preached in Troas. Paul is able to go there. But he says, I still had no peace of mind because I didn't find my brother Titus there. And Titus was supposed to meet Paul in Troas. But because of the unrest and tension in the relationship with the Corinthian church, he didn't walk through that door. He missed out on that mission because of this relationship. Because uh, he thought, that, oh, actually, Titus might still be in Corinth because of all the issues they've been having. So rather than going to Troas where God was leading him, he thought, I need to contact the Corinthian church and say, what is going on? Because this is actually, this relationship breakdown is hindering the gospel. And one of those questions today is, are we an open door? Do we um, allow people that we have relationship with, do we allow them to step through the open doors that God has put in their place? Or are we blocking them from walking through that open door? I remember the first time I went on holiday uh, with Jill's family. Uh, we were, it was 2012, uh, we had been dating for about a year, and we had the opportunity. Uh, Jill's sister was getting married, and it was a destination wedding. So we were able to go to Florida, which was amazing. So two weeks of uh, going on theme park rides and everything and enjoying the sun. And we had to go to a wedding at some point as well. Joking, it was a lovely, lovely ceremony, a lovely wedding. We had, but we, we did that and we were enjoying that. And there was 15 of us in this uh, one villa. And uh, the villa, it had many things. It had a games room. It had a, a pool. It also had a garage where I was staying for those two weeks, uh, which was lovely. Um, Jill was staying in the same room as her parents. So, you know, that could have been a bit of a score draw there. Would you rather have the garage or stay with your mum and dad? I don't know. Um, but the first night, uh, we were all jet lagged. Uh, so we were thinking, OK, we'll just have a quiet night. Uh, but there were some members of the of the party that decided, oh, we'll just have a few drinks. Um, and they decided to have a few drinks. Jill and I, we were sitting inside. The uh, villa had a Nintendo GameCube. If anyone remembers a Nintendo GameCube, we were playing on that. And um, they were just sitting outside. They were chatting. It sounded like it was OK. And then all of a sudden, we heard this big bang. Like, oh my goodness, what's happened? And I thought that maybe someone had uh, punched someone. You know, there was two different families, not really knowing one another. 
what had gone on, like ran through, be like, what's going on? And what we found is that one of the groom's family was lying on the floor and he had, it was almost like Looney Tunes. He had like stars around his head and he was like, and everyone else was laughing, absolutely creasing themselves laughing. And the reason was he had been in this debate. He thought he'd won the argument and he turned around. He was outside near the pool and he walked towards the kitchen and he went, and he walked into the glass door and absolutely just like, he was down. He was down. And it was absolutely hilarious. But also, in the morning, I think he was a bit sore in the head. And the point is, are we an open door? Or do we almost have the element that we are an open door? But when push comes to shove, there's that glass in the way that people can't get through. And then hurt comes. God is calling us to be an open door for people. When the opportunity arises, not to feel conflicted about pushing through, but to cheer people through that door. And let's be honest, it would be silly of me to be preaching this passage and to have the news that we've had this morning and not address almost the elephant in the room about the Dutoy. It's a wonderful Dutoy family. And it's going to be sad that you guys are leaving. It's going to be, we're going to miss them. It's going to create a stretch. We're going to almost not want you to go at some points. And the gospel There is an open door for the gospel in East Kilbride. There is an absolute open door. We see it. They see it. There's an open door. There are over, I mean, the last census I looked at, there was over 75,000 people in that town. And we want there to be a spirit-filled church there. There's already churches there doing really good work. But we want to bring another one to the party for other people that might not be feeling like actually churches for them. We want to say, here are the Dutoys. Here is East Kilbride Vineyard Church. And we want you to know Jesus. There's an open door in East Kilbride. The gospel needs to be preached there. So are we going to allow them? Are we going to cheer them on? Are we going to cheer them through that open door? Or are we going to hold them back? Our relationships need to be in the right order for the gospel to be furthered. We need to be an example of an open door to people. The gospel and the good news of Jesus is at stake here. Let's not hinder what we're doing by those relationships that we're maybe holding back, that we're saying, no, I'm just going to close that door. Let's be open-handed in our relationships, loving the two toys in this new adventure, wanting the best for them, cheering them on, and celebrating the wins with them. So when someone comes to faith, we're there here in Stonehaven, cheering them on because we've been part of that journey. We've been part of that adventure and we've released them so that's been able to happen. That's the first question. Are we an open door? The second question is, how do we smell? How do we smell to people we meet? Um, and that's a bit more of a personal question than being an open door, isn't it? I don't re- you don't really go around in the turry roundy bit. You wouldn't necessarily say, now turn to your neighbour and say, how do you smell? You wouldn't do that, would you? Um, but... What are some smells that people love? Just shout, what name a smell that you absolutely love? Go on. Freshly cut grass? Coffee? Mint? Freshly baked bread? Oh, that's a good smell. We can, Yeah, we can all relate. That is a good smell. Um, I was thinking like chocolate, vanilla. Love the smell of like vanilla, like proper vanilla. Uh, fresh bread, fresh flowers, fresh coffee, and all of those things. All those smells have one thing in common, I think, is that they smell of life, don't they? They smell, you just smell, oh, oh, I feel alive when I smell them. On the flip side, 
they're all smells that we hate, aren't they? There are the smell of sour milk. Oh, oh that's awful, isn't it? The smell of worn football trainers. Uh, I still have my football trainers encased in like almost like a kind of hazmat bag so that it doesn't seep out into our house uh, because it's so bad. The smell of like rotting fish as well. Oh, it's terrible. Ugh. Oh, I'm going to have to take a drink now. I've just said that. And they all, the only thing they have in common is that they smell of death, don't they? They smell of death. And Paul is challenging us on our smell in verses 14 to 16. Do we smell of life or do we smell of death? He says in verse 14, Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. And what Paul is getting at is when a king won a military victory in the Roman times, and there would probably have been about 350 of these um, over the time, they would, they would make a procession. They'd have a procession where they'd go back to where they came from, and they would process with the victory chants, with the fact that they'd won the battle, uh, with the spoils of war. And um, it was probably like one of the highlights of a career for a Roman general, a Roman army, to be able to go back to Rome or wherever they were stationed and come back with this procession. And the king, the leader would lead and then the soldiers would lead behind. And then you'd also have the prisoners coming behind them as well at the end. And um, at this time, people would come out, they'd line the streets and they would be burning incense as these uh, soldiers were coming back victorious. They'd be burning this incense as they come through the streets. And for the victors, that incense, it was almost like that triggered that, that they associated that incense straight away with victory. It's like when you smelled that incense, it was, ah, victory. That is the smell of victory. But for the prisoners, when they were smelling that, it was a completely different image that was put into their head, wouldn't it have been? That smell of incense would have signified defeat, would have signified um, their death as well, that they knew that they had lost, the battle was final, that they had lost. So when we encounter people, do we smell of life or do we smell of death? A few things that we smell of, I think, is we smell of Jesus. We smell of Jesus. The truth is that we don't smell of that life until we are led by Christ in that triumphal procession. It's the king that leads that triumphal procession and we follow behind. Only then do we smell of Jesus. Jesus came to earth to smell like us in our life so that through his death, we would smell like him. He smells like us in his incarnation, so we smell like him in our redemption. Through Christ, we are a pleasing aroma to God. But sometimes, though, the stink of sin can stick to us, can't it? Uh, as you can see, I've uh, recently been growing some facial hair. There you go. Look, side on view. There, there. For... For some people that I've been coming across, people who haven't grown facial hair, they say, nice beard, Ali. For people that can grow facial hair, they haven't actually told me whether it's a beard or not yet. So I'm not sure if I'm in the stage yet where it's just a bit of bum fluff or if it's still facial hair. I'm not sure. But if you like it, you can tell me later. I'd appreciate that. Uh, you could also convince my wife that it's a good thing. Um, she might need some convincing. I don't know. You're still, we're still up for debate, aren't we? Um, so, but one thing I've noticed is that when I've been feeding my son, Levi, who's 14 months, and been feeding him food, one of the things he loves to do is he loves to put his foot in, in my facial hair, in my beard. And, like, 
he's like he gets really into it so he maybe dabs it a little bit and then he like smooshes it around and before you know it, i'm like covered in uh, winter veggies and lamb or mango chicken curry or whatever fajitas whatever that looks like that is that is what i have and then i try and like i try desperately hard to kind of or i was trying desperately hard to kind of like pick it out make sure i washed it down but when um i came through back from the room and jill smelled she's like oh what is that smell it's awful I was like, I was like, oh, I think Levi's got some food in my my beard. She's like, no kidding. It's like, oh, it smells awful, doesn't it? And the truth is, some of us smell of stuff we shouldn't be smelling of, because we are rolling around in stuff that we shouldn't be rolling around in. We're getting that that sin stuck on us in some way or another. And now I'm pleased to tell you, my wife is very pleased to tell you, I've discovered a new section that I never looked at uh, called the male uh, grooming products in the supermarket. And I found beard shampoo, and I'm now able to clean my beard every time that uh, Levi decides that he's gonna, I'm gonna be his canvas for his next art piece. <laughs> and it smells so good now. I can tell you that you don't have to come near me to smell, but it smells good. It smells good. We need to allow when that sin sticks to us. We need to allow God to shampoo us with His love. Once again, you can smell death from miles away. You can also smell life from miles away too. We allow sin to stick, but we can also be a divisive smell. Very quickly, it says, to the one we are aroma of death, to the other the aroma of life. I read a story uh, recently, or heard a story, um, about an American missionary called Jim Elliott. A story that Simon Ponsonby shared in one of his talks. And he went to a tribe uh, called the Huarani people in Ecuador. And uh, he was going to be a missionary towards them to, to preach the gospel. And he wrote this before he went. I love this. He says, Father God, make me a crisis man. Bring those I come in contact to make a decision. Make me a fork in the road that men must turn one way or another, facing Christ in me. What oh, beautiful. We don't think about that always, but gosh, I want to be live away that makes, forces people to make a decision one way or the other. And the truth is, if you know the story of Jim Elliot, that he was killed by this tribe along with four other missionaries in the 1950s. That tribe, they didn't like what they smelt. But the amazing thing was, his wife went over to Ecuador and continued the work with that tribe. And she told them about Jesus. And many of them said yes to Christ and the gospel was spread. Isn't that amazing? That his life, he was martyred, he was sacrificed. There was that smelling of death. But when she came, there was that smelling of life to those people. A crisis, they were conflicted and convicted about the evidence of Jesus in our lives. We're meant to be excellent signposts to Jesus. That when people see us, they know I have to make a decision one way or another. And the truth is, the real tragedy would be if we didn't smell of anything. If people, you know when you've got a blocked nose, you can't smell of anything, can't you? You're like, oh, I can't really smell anything at the moment. It's rubbish, isn't it? You're just, you're not able to kind of hear. You're not able to, you're not able to hear. You're not able to smell. You almost lose kind of a disorientation a little bit. And imagine the tragedy would be people came to know, know us and saw us and thought, I don't, I don't sense anything either way. They almost blur in. We don't want to be those people where people come across us and they think we're 
we have a blocked nose. We want to smell of that life of Jesus. How do we smell? How do we smell? And finally, how do we read the people we know? So this is getting more personal. An open door, it's like kind of relationship one-to-one, almost side-by-side. You can see one another. We can open that door. How do we smell? You obviously need to be in a certain perimeter, a certain proximity to be able to smell someone. But how do you read? If you're reading a letter, you need to be close. You need to be up close and personal to be able to read a letter, don't you? You need to read someone's life. And that is much more personal. Be close enough to study someone and know who they really are. And Paul talks about the situation with the letters, that the Corinthian church were asking him for these recommendations. He says this, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by everyone. We show you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. And we don't have time today, but you can look into the Old Testament about what that meant of being written, tablets written on the heart, almost like the kind of Ten Commandments, but then Leviticus about the new law. We don't have time, but extra reading if you want to. Leviticus 31, it's there for you. Um, And these false teachers, not only were they asking Paul for this recommendation, but they were actually forging fake letters themselves to authenticate their authority, to say, you know, Bobby down the road has has, uh, recommended me. I mean, who knows who that is? But he's, he's been recommending me. But Paul, we don't know who you are. And Paul is answering and saying to the Corinthian church, you are my letter. You know me. You came to faith when you I was here with you. You are my letter. The church he had started, that recommendation was enough. And if people were to read us today, what would they read? Would they read something that was black and white? Would they read something that they'd almost have to uh, look up the reference points to work out or almost have to crack a code? Would we read like a tabloid newspaper, all all on the front, all superficial, or a novel, or a legal document, all head knowledge and no heart? Or will we be read as a love letter? A love letter to Jesus. I remember when uh, the week up to Jill and I getting married, I'd had the great idea. I'm not not always the most romantic, but I thought this was pretty romantic, that every day that I would send Jill a letter of my love for her, different aspects of my love. And I realize now that I set a pretty high bar. And I don't know. You can ask Jill if I'm keeping that up, but I was like, oh, oh I realize that now. Um, but so each day when we were kind of, all the organization that was happening of whether there was the right flowers, whether the table plan was okay, whether Auntie Sue was able to get a lift from the service to the ceremony or, you know, the service to the, what's that called? Reception. Thank you, reception. I can't even remember. Oh, okay. You know, whether my best man would remember to bring a shirt, which he didn't. Um, so he had to go to Tesco in the morning. Um, all the time, Jill had these constant reminders of my love for her. And the point is, our lives should read like a love letter to Jesus. When people get to know us, we want to be speaking, being and speaking good news. And sometimes we overcomplicate those things, don't we? Here's a really simple way to live. Love Jesus well. Love others well. Talk about what you love. Let's do that. Love Jesus well. Love others well. Talk about what you love.
And those two things will mix with the last. The aroma of Christ attracts people. And then when people start to know us and read us more, they say, wow, they really are the real deal. They really do love Christ. I can see that. I can reference that in my life. Paul says in that verse 2 of chapter 3, he says, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, read and known by everyone. The people that know and read us, do they read Jesus? Another challenge is, do we allow people to get close enough to read us? That's a risk. But let's be brave and let's take that step. So Paul, in summary, he's asking these questions uh, not to upset people or provoke people, but to show them the way back to love those in the church and those around us. He's putting the gospel front and center back in their lives. And that's the challenge that Paul sets us today. Are we going to commit to the gospel once more? Are we going to be and speak good news? Are we going to be an open door for our friends, for those around us, that when the gospel needs to be preached, we cheer them through that door? Are we going to smell in such a way that when people encounter us for the first time, that forces them to make a decision on their lifestyle and what they're following? And are we going to allow people to get close enough to us that when they read us, they see our love for Jesus? That's the challenge today. Why don't we stand and I'll pray for us.